0: The word of the Lord has opened to Luke, the 15th chapter. I'd like to stay with that portion of Scripture. Luke, chapter 15. <clears throat> then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, will not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Either what woman, having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece Doth not light a candle, and sweep the house, and seek diligently till she find it. And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. And he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise, and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. And when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him, and had compassion, and ran, and fell on his neck, and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. And yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this, thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, and thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. May the Lord bless the reading of the word.
1: Let us kneel down and worship the Lord. Our Father, which art in heaven, what a great privilege it is, O oh Lord, to be able to call thee a Father. It is our prayer that everyone may be able day to call thee Father. This parable that is given unto us, dear Father, in which a loving Father receives a son that has failed him, that has dishonored him, disobeyed him, O oh Lord, what else should that scripture say to encourage those that hesitate to to follow the invitation to obey it, dear Father? Is it fear to fall in the hand of a living God that should drive them, O oh Lord? O oh, Father in heaven, thy word is complete, thy word is true, thy word is appropriate, and thy word invites sinners to come to repentance, a just and holy God offers forgiveness in Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior, a just and holy God that has to judge sin, that will not allow sin to go unpunished, O Lord, though he's very long-suffering, though he's very patient waiting that the sinner should repent. For he has no pleasure that the sinner die, but that he turn from his way and repent. And be received as a child of His, O oh, Father in Heaven. Impress this upon us, upon the heart, that when we doubt, O oh Lord, that we may be strengthened by it. That Thy good will is so abundantly revealed in the Holy Word unto us, that there is no question, dear Father, if we think soberly, to follow the invitation. We pray Thee, dear Father, Thou knowest the needs that are gathered here everyone what he needs to hear, dear Father, and that they may have hearing ears, O oh Lord, to receive thy word of truth, thy word of truth which goes forth in simplicity in this day, wherever it's proclaimed, dear Father, and that it may be recognized that it's thy living word, the world, thy word which is called the world's into being, and by thy word they will also become nothing, and a new earth, a new heaven will be made, O oh Lord. Nothing is impossible unto thee, O Lord, that agrees with thy character. And we believe in thy character that is a loving and kind God that invites men to repentance. We thank thee for this great privilege, O Lord, to hear those words, to be able to gather in this place unhindered in quietness of this morning hour, dear Father. A great privilege, the best place to be, O Lord. Yet we realize there are those that would like to be here with us, but cannot because they're hindered. And they too need a portion of thy grace, of thy goodness, dear Father, revealed unto them to strengthen them that they can keep faith as they're sorely tried. O Lord, thou knowest how much we can take and thou will not allow more upon us than we're able to bear, O Lord. How comforting this can be, especially when the trials are great, dear Father but it is thy desire also that we pray for one another, dear Father, that we lift up each other in prayer for we need thee, dear Father, and that the body of Jesus Christ be edified, that it be functioned together, dear Father, that those that come and may see, dear Father, may realize, yes, this is the truth, O Lord, the truth that saves men. We thank thee, O Lord, that it is a time of grace, that the invitation stands, is open, dear Father, that whosoever will may come, Dear Father, for we also know that Thy word says there will be a time when it will be over and no more choices can be made. When faith will be no more needed because we will see. And those that see face to face will be like him, O oh Lord. What a thing to consider, dear Father. What an incomprehensible thing that we should be glorified in the Son and be like him, O oh Lord undeserved as we are, because thou didst choose to bestow thy love upon us, not that we did love thee, but thou didst love us first, and now that we should let thy love also go through us and be used as vessels of mercies to be witnesses of thy grace unto others as well. Anoint the brother to speak thy word, that he may go forth in simplicity and truth. Wherever thy word is proclaimed, we pray a blessing upon it, dear Father, and may we have ears to hear, O Lord what thou wouldst us to hear, dear Father. Bless us as we are gathered. In Jesus' name we pray thee. Amen.
0: <clears throat> this passage of Scripture that we've read together is from the lips of the Master Teacher himself. And sometimes when I read these words, especially from the pulpit here, I can't help but think, what can I add to this? If we would just meditate on the words that we've already read and look into the heart of the Father that we've read about, there'd be plenty for us to take away from this place, to put into action. But perhaps the Lord still has a few crumbs for us And so as we look at this passage together, perhaps we can see things in a way that maybe we haven't paid attention to before. This chapter is referred to the chapter of lost things. We read about the lost sheep. We read about the lost coin. And the centerpiece of this chapter is the lost son. As we were reading this together, I I was struck by those words, and I don't think they're hyperbole, where the Lord said, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner that repents than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. As I thought about that a little bit, what does that mean? Do I have the same measure of joy over one sinner that repents, that has been saved from the fires of hell, than over 99 that are walking according to the Lord's words and obeying Him? That such joy would be in heaven over one sinner that repents. Much damage has been done to Christianity, to the Word of Christ, by the so-called evangelists that claim decisions for Christ. They are more interested, I think, in numbers than in the depth of repentance. But this type of repentance that's spoken of here. This is a profound repentance. A repentance that goes right to the very bottom. I've said before that the amount of time it takes for someone to give their life to the Lord is equal to the amount of time it takes for them to realize that they are nothing. That can come quickly or it can come slowly by degrees as it was with me. But that is what is required of the Lord. To come to ourselves and to realize we can do nothing. And the joy in heaven when that realization comes to a, to a lost soul. The first section is about the lost sheep, the man having a hundred sheep. I guess I'm a little different than the Lord's hearers because I'm not so sure I would be ready to leave the 99 and go after the one that was lost in fear that I may lose more. But it seems that this was a common thing that if one wandered off, you didn't think twice about leaving the rest and going after the one that was lost that was so precious. But the important thing, I think, for us to realize here is the great lengths to which the Lord goes to retrieve that lost sheep. While we were yet sinners, Scripture says, he died for the ungodly. While we were yet his enemies, he died for us. When we were heading the opposite direction from him, he was going after us. That's something to consider. You know, when we talk about testimonies, we often talk about it from our perspective, from when we realized and we turned to the Lord but the truth is the Lord was chasing us long before we even, it even entered our mind that we should turn to Him. His grace was already working in a special unseen way. He was already tracking us down to rescue us. But I firmly believe He will not save anyone against their will. Love coerced is not love. And He desires our love. The one thing that we can give him. So we see in this shepherd and the great extent to which he went to find that lost sheep, and how he rejoiced when he found that lost sheep. He didn't scold it. He didn't heap guilt on us. for what we have done so that we would be punished sufficiently before he rescued us? He rejoiced. He rejoiced to find us. How much effort do we make to go after that which is lost? I say this to myself. I'm not really saying it to anyone here, though we can all consider it. How much effort do I make? Or am I content with the 99? Is my heart like the heart of Christ that goes out after the one that is lost? Or would I rather stay in the safety of the fold? It's interesting that the Lord opened the Scripture this morning to me. Because it talks about the woman having 10 pieces of silver, and if she loses one piece, she lights a candle and sweeps the house and seeks diligently till she finds it. One of the things that I do is repair cell phones that are damaged. And if anyone has opened up one of those cell phones, let me tell you, those screws are tiny. If you take the cross-section of a grain of rice, that's about the size of the head of the screw. They're incredibly small, and I dropped one last night. And I did what this woman did. I got a flashlight, I turned off the lights, I laid the light down on the floor, right at floor level, so that anything very, very small would cast a long shadow. And it's on a tile floor, and so you go methodically tile by tile, to see if you can find it, and I guess, I, I think I probably got a touch of OCD based on Brother Ed's presentation yesterday at OMEC. I don't like the idea of putting the thing back together without a, one of those screws. I mean, this was an important screw too, so I needed it there. I could have maybe taken it from somewhere else, but that goes against my wiring. <laughs> it's incomplete, it's, I, I had to find it. <laughs> and even Grace joined me on the floor looking around for this little screw. But what a joy when you finally find it. There it is, in the corner. This was not a great fortune that this woman had lost. It's only one-tenth. I've heard it said that this was perhaps part of her dowry, that she was a widow, perhaps, who had no means of support, and this was the remaining coins of her dowry, her life's savings. So, of course, in that context, to lose 10%, That was a serious loss, and she was not about to let that loss go. The effort, the painstaking effort she went to to find that lost peace. How often we're ready to give up. Oh, that person's got a mind of their own until they realize, until the Lord deals with them, there's no point even chasing them. When they finally come to themselves, then, then maybe we'll take some time to spend with them when they're ready to receive it. I think sometimes we all have those sort of attitudes. We like to know that our efforts are well spent. And to waste time on someone who isn't very receptive to what we have to say, well, I'll go spend my time elsewhere, my time's precious. Yet the precious thing was that lost coin to this widow. She wasn't content with the 90%. She had to have that 10th that part that she had lost. The effort that she went through for that 10%. It's interesting to see her response. She calls together those around her that know her to share this joy. I would have never brought up this story of the screw (laughs) if this chapter hadn't opened to me. I think you kind of look at these sort of things and think, "Oh, that's kind of a silly little story. What application does that have? Are people really going to get excited over that? In many ways, our society has become blase. We're so used to the sensational that the sensational isn't very sensational anymore. Something bigger. I think we can all remember those people on those kids on the schoolyard that whenever you told a story, they always had to one-up you. There's always something bigger. So oh, that's nothing. I saw my dad. <laughs> Are we willing to be genuine? To share real joys over maybe even little victories. We don't know what encouragement that may bring to someone. We think no one may be interested. Through this chapter, I see that the Lord looks at circumstances in, with very different eyes than we usually do. We're, consider, we're, we're interested in, in majority. We're interested in, um, in, in good return on our investments. The Lord is not like a man in that way. He doesn't just say, well, I have, the, I have the 99, I'll let that one go. And I think perhaps we need to learn this again in this latter day and time that we live in, that each one does matter. That the Lord came and died for each one. The latter half of the chapter is spent looking at a story that many of us are familiar with and I'm sure many that are much more able than I am have preached on this subject before. But perhaps we can look through it one last time and see if there's something there for us that we may have missed before. A certain man had two sons, not a large family. In, in a day when uh, children meant security for old age especially, Uh, having only two sons was not a particularly large family. In fact, there was a fair bit of risk with only having two. Something might happen to them. So he had two sons, and they were both very precious to him. But it seems that the attitude of the younger was very different from the attitude of the father towards his sons. The younger didn't care a great deal for his father. We don't know what influences led to this decision, but one day it came to him that he went to his father and said, I would like my inheritance early. Now, in that time, in that place, wealth was often measured in lands and cattle and so on. Uh, We would call them in today's financial lingo, uh, illiquid assets. And he demanded that those assets be converted to cash that he could take with him. In essence, he was saying to his father, I wish you were already dead so that I could have my portion, throw off my responsibility to my parents, which was commanded in the law, and go do what I like. The father probably had every right to disown his son at this point if he chose. But the father with a heavy heart did what his son asked. He divided unto them his living. It probably meant selling some pasture land, perhaps selling some animals, his store of coins that he'd collected, all of that would have to be liquidated now, divided in half in terms of value and given. And the worst part of all this, perhaps, is that this young man took that, that precious life-saving that was the measure of his father's sweat and toil, and blew it. It says, he wasted his substance with riotous living. I'm picturing something like the Mardi Gras celebrations that happen in various cities. The kind of living, loose living. I don't need to go into the details. I think we all kind of know what this meant. But there was a time when the money ran out. This young man was very foolish. He took no thought for the for tomorrow. He didn't get down to his last few coins, or perhaps he did save them, but eventually it all was gone. He didn't even have enough money to make the return trip back home. He spent it all. How many Come to the Lord in that condition. To realize that they have nothing. That they only realize they need the Lord when everything has been taken from them. So much better to come to that realization early. To realize that you really do have nothing until everything is ripped from you. And worse came to worse. Not only was his money gone, but then a mighty famine arose in that land. I've never known a famine. I've never actually really known real hunger, apart from fasting. I've never had to worry about where my next meal comes from. But I remember hearing stories from my grandmother. She was in a concentration camp. And she told, she told us stories about how difficult things were, how weak she was how every ounce of fat that was in her body was consumed by her body to keep herself alive. And she said it was in a small town that was ringed in with barbed wire and there was no food. Disease was rampant. And she said she would stand in a doorway to gather enough strength and then just focus on going across the street to the next doorway where she could rest. And worse than that, to watch her children starve. It's one thing for us to experience pain, but to see that pain touch those that we love and to not be able to do anything about it, that's a special kind of torment, I believe. And she watched that. This young man, too, he had nothing, and he had to do something about it quick. So he took the only job that was offered. A young, privileged Jewish boy took this job. He joined himself to a citizen of that country. We're not told what the country was, but that one would have been considered a heathen. It was bad enough to be a servant to a fellow Jew. You knew at least on the year of Jubilee you would be released but to be a servant to an ungodly heathen. And then the job he was given, perhaps the worst one that a Jewish boy could be given, to feed swine. Not only to feed swine, I don't know how many of you have been around hogs, but let me tell you, they stink. And the things that they eat uh, when they're hungry they, they just devour and they can be, I heard it said uh, that there are more people that die from being eaten by pigs every year than by sharks. They're voracious and I can picture this young boy trying to squeeze in between these hogs when the slop was thrown and maybe grab a little for himself that didn't look so bad. What an awful situation. But finally, finally, in that state, we read these words about him. He came to himself. I forget which Greek philosopher it was that said, but the quote goes something like this, to thine own self be true, and then it doth follow as day follows night, that thou canst not be false to any man. This is the point that we must reach if we are to deal with God. We all have an inflated opinion of ourselves. It's natural. The pride that led to the fall of man, that problem is still with us. But to see ourselves as we really are, to see ourselves for what we have become, that's a difficult step, a humbling step. But the beauty of that is that in that humility, God begins to work in His grace. Because He says that He gives grace to the humble, but He resists the proud. How beautiful. To know that it doesn't require immense biblical knowledge or or a particularly keen mind or any other qualifications, a bloodline perhaps. Only humility. And humility is not a work. It's simply coming as this young man realized, coming to himself and realized he had nothing. He had wasted what he had been given. He had no merit of his own. And in that, in that position, in that position, Change was able to begin. The broken relationship that he had with his father could begin to mend from that low point. It's interesting what he remembered now. He didn't remember the fancy feasts. He didn't remember his life of privilege. He remembered the servants, probably the ones that he looked down on. And he said, you know, they had enough. And even a little extra left over that they maybe gave to the family dog or something like that. They had enough to eat to the full. Maybe, just maybe, if I go back, and if I show my father that I'm really sorry, at least he'll take me on as a servant. I know I'm not worthy to be called a son any longer. But maybe, just maybe, I could be a servant. And so he gets up and he goes back. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him. He didn't write off that son. He probably wasn't watching right from the door of the house. He probably went out some distance from the house, maybe to the brow of a hill where he could look a good ways down the road. He probably did that every day to look for the shape of that wayward son. He couldn't chase him. He couldn't go himself to rescue him. That son needed to come to himself. You know, when he was at home still, his heart was already gone. It was only his actions that finally took him away from the family homestead. His heart had already left. The father realized that he had to come to himself. But he went to that edge of the hill every day, perhaps, to look, to look for a sign that that son of his was coming back. His father saw him and had compassion. You know, it's interesting. My dad has many slides that he's taken over the years. And even as a youngster, I liked looking at those slides that he had, especially the ones from Eastern Camp. He'd take these shots of the whole crowd, people walking. And when that image is is projected up onto a projector screen... And the colors are really vivid and intense. It's amazing that you can see someone sometimes way in the distance, just a little speck almost. But from the way they're standing and the way that they carry themselves, you say, hey, that's so-and-so. I know that. Even though that picture may have been taken 30 years ago or more. I know that person. And so it was with the father. He stood and squinted against the hot sun, perhaps, and looked way down the road. There's a lone man traveling. That would have been odd in and of itself. It was not safe to travel alone. You may have your goods stolen. You traveled in caravans in that country. (laughs) But this boy, he had nothing. (laughs) Nothing worth to steal. So when his father saw that lone figure, perhaps in the shimmering haze, in the middle of the day, and he squinted and looked, and perhaps went a little closer, he realized The form was the form of his beaten son. Probably in rags by now, no shoes on his feet. How many of you have tried to walk very far without shoes on a rough, dry surface? My parents have a gravel driveway. When I lived at home as a youngster, I didn't much like wearing shoes or sandals around the house. And so by the middle of summer, my feet would get pretty tough because we'd go run out on the gravel driveway and bare feet, and you you get used to it. Well, a number of years ago, we were there in the summer again, and I kicked off my shoes. We were doing something, and I went to go walk across that gravel driveway. And let me tell you, my feet had softened up pretty significantly. It was painful, and you kind of hobble and, ooh, get me over to the grass. This boy, shoeless boy, walking home with nothing and he saw that pathetic scene and it says he had compassion he had compassion and he ran grown men in that culture did not run it would have been beneath him as an older man to run to be in a hurry that was the job of servants when you needed something done quickly you, hired, you brought a man, go run and do it and he ran But the Lord, he didn't run. But this father ran. He was not about to wait for that son to get to him. He ran to meet him. And he fell on his neck and kissed him. You know, we're so used to cleanliness in our modern culture. It's so easy to wash our hands. We have little stations with sanitizer around the church that you can easily squirt a little bit in and Kill any germs? Back then when the water had to be all pulled from a well, it took a little bit more effort to wash yourself. This boy who had been with the pigs, and I'm sure stank, and was filthy, this father doesn't say, oh, it's great to see you, let's get you cleaned up. He fell on his neck and kissed him. A father didn't do this. The younger, were supposed to show submission and, 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 and honor to those that were older. And the tables are, are, are turned here. The son re- begins his reversed speech, and I'd like to just quickly finish here. Father, I have sinned against heaven. That's the first step. To realize that all sin is first and foremost against the true father, the father above. What I've done to other people is only an outgrowth of what I've done wrong to my father in heaven. I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight. He didn't didn't dodge that one. He realized that he had also injured his father very deeply. And he says, I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father didn't even let him finish. He cut him off. He said, bring forth the best robe and put it on and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. That ring probably would have been a signet ring that would have had the family uh, mark on it. It probably wasn't just simple jewelry, a a sign of belonging. The servants went barefoot. But the master and his sons wore shoes. There was no in-between stage. He wasn't going to let his son wallow in his misery for a while until he knew for sure that this son was really repentant. He right away invited him in, bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. In an area with no refrigeration, your livestock were kept alive until you needed to use them. There was no place to store them. So there was a special animal, the choice animal that was fed and finished on grain, so the meat would be nice and tender and flavorful, and that would have been kept in store, Perhaps for a large family gathering, or if a really important guest came that you would have something suitable to set before them, and his father wastes it on this wayward son. Ah, but it wasn't a waste. He was rejoicing. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. I think we don't pay much attention to that. God, God's Son, Jesus Christ, did not come into this world to make bad men good. He came to make dead men live. It's that dramatic. Not a change of behavior, but a change of, of, of substance to go from one who is dead and stinking to alive again. That's a miracle. Not a, not a reformation, not a we're going we're gonna to rehabilitate this person. No. A new life. And they began to make merry. I'd like to just spend a a minute or two on the the last section because in some ways I, I think I can relate to this elder son, not just in birth order. There was the elder son. He was out in the field. He was doing his father's will, tending sheep perhaps, perhaps supervising men who were harvesting grain. We don't know the season. But as he came close to the house, he heard something. He heard music. Music was not, you know, people didn't have recorded music, MP3s and, and, and CDs and things like that. Music meant only one thing, celebration. And he hears this and what's going on? Who's here? Who came? And as he gets closer, he's probably dirty from working, he calls one of the servants and says, what's going on here? Who, who's, who came? And the shock to know that this was his younger brother that was back, that no good, that ne'er do well, the one who'd wasted half of his father's goods, that had dragged the family name into the mud. He was mad, and perhaps in our eyes, rightly so. He wouldn't even call, them, call him his brother. He said, This thy son, your son, not my brother, your son has wasted his substance. He wanted nothing to do with this younger brother. And he throws it back in his father's face. He said, look, I never disobeyed you, and you didn't even give me a kid to make merry with my friends. I guess the equivalent of a pizza party, maybe, in our lingo. I served you faithfully and you never gave me any of these things. Now this guy comes back. He's wasted everything. He's damaged my inheritance. He's taken your money and you welcome him back. It seemed unjust to the, young, to the older brother. I like how the Lord turns away the wrath of the elder son. He says, son... Thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. There was a price that still was paid. That money that the younger son had wasted was not coming back. There is a price to be paid for sin. And we do well to remember that, especially the young among us. God can forgive you, but the clock will not. The years you waste, the experiences you have, and the scars you gather when you're running from Him are yours. They're the consequences you'll carry, but the Father still welcomes you back. You take again a position of sonship with the Father. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad. For this, thy brother was dead and is alive again. Was lost and is found. How many prodigal sons and daughters do we have among us? I'm thankful, I'm thankful that we have those who are unsaved yet here to to hear the message. But I don't want you to stay in that state If it just becomes a club for saints, we've missed our calling. We're not joining the Father on the hill looking for the Son to come back. Those of you that have not yet surrendered your lives to the Lord, consider that Father who is still on the brow of the hill looking, waiting for you to come to yourself and turn around. May the Lord bless these words. Amen. Would a brother please select a hymn. Hymn number 15, 15. brother please lead us in prayer
2: let's kneel to pray dear father in heaven we thank thee for the the message that we've heard this morning the message that shows the father heart that shows the heart of of the one who created us, the one who has put everything into being that shows a love beyond our comprehension, beyond what we can understand, dear Father. We're so thankful because we would be lost, we would have no hope without Thee. We would all be destroyed, would have destroyed ourselves long ago if not for the love that reached out, the love that Pursued us, the love that called us, the love that patiently waited till we opened our eyes, till our eyes were opened and we could see just how lost we were. Dear Father, we're so thankful for this love and we ask that uh, thou wouldst not give up on those that are still destroying themselves, that are still wreaking havoc on all that thou has given them and still causing pain, inflicting pain on the Father heart. Dear Father, we know that ultimately all sin is against Thee, and Thou, all of the, the pain and the anguish that we feel because of, of, of sin and because of the things that we inflict on ourselves, dear Father, Thou hast felt the, the pain of rejection and the, the anguish of, of lost souls that are turning from Thee and, and refusing Thy entreaty. Dear Father, we're so thankful that we've heard this message and that this message has been able to be proclaimed. Dear Father, there, our hearts, our minds are, are filled with many individuals that we know around us. Dear Father, please help us to have more of the Father heart, more of thy heart in seeking them and being uh, tools in thy hands to, to perpetuate, uh, to sp- spread that message of grace, of, of hope, that there is a place at home For the ones that are lost and straying dear father help us not to rest or or to think we're entitled or or that we've received the place because of our goodness or or that we were good and obedient children dear father it was the all along that pursued us and called us back so dear father as we go through this day help us to reflect on that to treat each other in the light of that grace that love of the father all of us as redeemed children And those that are lost and straying, the poor lambs that are destroying themselves, help us to to have that same heart towards them that has been shown to us in this passage, in these stories that were shared by Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, the one who gave his life for the sheep. Dear Father, we are so thankful for what he has done, and we ask that his name would continue to be lifted up among us. We pray for those that are going through difficulties and who are maybe tempted to uh, lay down that name and not proclaim it as loudly as they should, dear Father, give them strength, help them to know that there is a great reward laid up for them, that Thou wilt sustain them and carry them through. We pray that Thou wouldst be with uh, the government, those that uh, lead this country, that make decisions about law and order and what is... uh, what this, which direction this country is going, we, we do see all that is happening around us, and it does cause us sorrow and pain, dear Father. So we pray for the leadership of this country that Thou wouldst call them to and help them to realize there is a great authority over all who will one day call all men into account for all the things that they have done. Dear Father, we thank Thee for everything, and we pray this in the name of Jesus, knowing that our salvation is assured in Him if we but trust and call upon His name. Amen.
0: Would a brother please select a closing hymn. Hymn number 16 to conclude. 16.
1: the chapter that was expounded on, if I sort of stand back a little bit and look at it, what is the essence of the message? The first two examples that Jesus gives shows that the things that were lost had to be sought to be found. A sheep couldn't find a way back. And All the sheep does when it's lost is bleh, 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 which may attract predators to harm the sheep, to kill it. So it was urgent for the shepherd to go and seek it, find it soon, because the sheep could not be found by itself. Like was the, the piece of silver. It had to be sought. The Bible says that there is none good. They all have gone astray. There's none that asks. There's none that seeks. God has to do the seeking. God has to do the finding. And if we think that we did seek Him first, no, the Lord saw us first. And what does it tell us about that example of the lost Son? What is that supposed to represent? The Father that loves his son so much, even though he fails him, even though dishonors him, even though it wastes his goods, yet he loves him. He loves him while he is yet a sinner. And how joyfully he receives him when he finally turns to him, when he chooses to respond. The conviction that he had it good in his father's house turned back and then the joy in heaven. To think when a sinner repents, there is joy in heaven. Among the mighty beings that God has created, we call them angels and whatever, that there is joy in heaven, that we affect heaven that way. And then what does this tell us about the brother that did not rejoice when the brother came back from from his sinning? A warning to us. To withhold the joy. When there's joy in heaven, and that we resist sometimes think, well, that person deserves, doesn't deserve salvation, he's so evil. We all have gone astray. And when we are tempted that way, we be careful and remember this parable. There's joy in heaven over one sinner that repents. And it should encourage those that consider that they have failed, that they're past past being saved. And God gives us this example, His very own Son tells this example of the Father that loves and looks for the Son that failed Him and receives Him. It's amazing how God can be so gracious to somebody that repents, so gracious, and there is joy in heaven, and we should rejoice with every soul that repents and encourage Him And look at them. Yes, they're lost in their sins, but God is able to reach them. God is seeking them actively, and that we should be instruments in God's (coughs) hand to encourage such and rejoice when they turn. To God be all the honor and glory. Evermore. Amen. This concludes now our service.